Welcome to episode 78 of Joy Sounds, Music You Need to Know, where we feature the brightest independent artists. I'm your host, Chris Sampson. Joy Sounds is presented in partnership with Music Connection. Music Connection has been an invaluable resource to the entire music community since 1977. For more information, visit musicconnection.com. On today's show, we feature Portland-based singer-songwriter Jared Lawson. Jared's recently released new record, Be the Change, is a great showcase of his unique jazz-infused soul music. On Thursday, February 25th, at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, you can catch Jared in a special live stream concert on Ursa Live. 100% of every ticket sale will be matched dollar for dollar by Ursa Live and benefit music education nonprofit Little Kids Rock. Funds raised will support the expansion of music education programs across the country. You can check out the concert at ursalive.com slash jared Lawson. To learn more about Little Kids Rock, visit littlekidsrock.org. During this episode, Jared talks about and shares three tracks from his new record, Love Isn't Always Enough, I'll Be Your Radio, and Universal Chord. So let's open today's show with Love Isn't Always Enough by Jared Lawson on Joy Sounds.
And that was Love Isn't Always Enough by Jared Lawson. And it is my pleasure to welcome to Joy Sounds, Jared Lawson. Hey, Jared, how are you doing? I'm really good. Thanks, Chris. How are you? Good, man. Uh, What a beautiful song. What a timely message. It is so great to hear something so positive and uplifting during this time. As a matter of fact, this entire record, Be the Change, has that positivity that runs throughout it. Is that is that is that kind of like a role that you see yourself as an artist is to to make sure that there's this this sense of light um with your music making? Yeah, I think so. I think that's um kind of from the time that I first started taking myself seriously as a songwriter, I think um that was always an important focus to me. I mean, there's just there's plenty of darkness in the world and I feel like yeah, it was somehow generating naturally within me to to be sort of a, I guess, a beacon of light. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, it's 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 um, like I said, you're absolutely right. There's, I think, there's a need for it. You probably, while you were writing and recording this record, didn't realize that the world was going to need it as much as it did. <laughs> I had no idea what was coming, but I try to put timely, you know, I guess, timeless messages. I should say into my music that I think will maybe be relevant, you know, years down the line. Yeah. And that sense of timelessness also goes into your sound. There's just these, it's the the richness of the true acoustic instruments, the the horns and the pianos. And it's just so beautifully produced that um, it, it, it provides, that that adds to its sense of timelessness. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. So tell, give me, give me a little bit of background as to that recording process for Be The Change, because I can hear that that was no small undertaking. There's uh, lots of people clearly involved. Yeah, there was uh, yeah, a, a nice little personnel uh, list involved on this record, kind of versus my first record, which was, it was relatively limited. Um, I really wanted to incorporate more musicians into this and kind of, you know, I, I love when I listen to a record and, and, and I'm actually like looking at the liner notes. Well, this is back when there were liner notes, right? Right. <laughs> um, you know, but I, I used to love to look at the liner notes on my CDs and just see like long list of musicians and just go, wow, look, you know, check this out. So I think it was kind of important to me this this round to, you know, just kind of assemble a really cool, uh, a kind of rich crew of musicians. Well, and you can you can hear it, you know, when I've I've always been a firm believer that when we go into the studio, uh, one of your best investments you can make is in the people. You don't necessarily have to invest in the programming or the gear, but if you invest in the people and the players, that's that's where you get your um, return on investment, so to speak. That's so true. And honestly, if you have great players, you can get by with you know mediocre gear. If you're getting like ridiculously good performances, I think that that carries a lot more weight than the quality of the recording. I mean, I think in this case... I was putting emphasis on both. Right. I tried to get the best quality recordings I could get as well. But, um, you know, it's, it kind of reminds me of, uh, what is it? George Benson's, uh, that live, rec- that famous live recording of on Broadway that everybody knows, you know, that that's a stunning recording. It was, you know, his vocal was recorded on an SM 58. <laughs> you know, it's just like standard, like not a great microphone. It's just a fine, like live cardioid microphone yep and uh yeah that's a phenomenal recording and all you really care about is that the performance was next level yeah absolutely and front and center um on this record and in these arrangements is your piano playing and uh you've got such a um 
rich harmonic vocabulary. Um, that's oh, your your musicality and your touch really comes through in your playing, particularly on this record. And I, I just kind of want to know what what was your upbringing? How did you come to your particular style as a pianist and a songwriter? Yeah, so I had very limited instruction. I picked up the piano at around like 13 years old um, when I became really intrigued with harmony. And my father gave me some some early instruction, kind of getting me understanding the basics of like major and minor scales and just kind of basic chord theory in terms of constructing major and minor chords. And he would have me like do inversions up and down the keyboard of just basic triads, you know, which was, you know, I hated it at the time. <laughs> But it's so invaluable. It's invaluable, isn't it? <laughs> it is incredibly invaluable because now I feel like I can just move inversions around so easily. And, you know, when you start adding extensions to those triads, obviously the chords become much more complex. But having those inversions kind of already in my mind and having that muscle memory in my hands was huge. But beyond that, I kind of just went with that foundational instruction that I got from my dad and really just listened to a lot of music and was just, my ears have always served me really well. Um, you know, I was kind of infatuated with, you know, Chopin and, you know, I would sit around and try and figure out little Chopin waltzes as a kid. And, you know, then I would listen to, you know, whatever things like Oscar Peterson or some of my favorite pianists and just try to kind of ear out their solos and stuff like that. So I was doing that from the time that I was really just starting on the piano. That's that's the best school possible, is just to turn your ears and, and soak up as, as much music as possible. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it seems like, for the most part, the progression is kind of like, when you're, when you're an early musician, you tend to copy. Right, sure. You copy, copy, copy what you hear. Or, or, you know, or what you read. In my case, I never learned to read music. So, I mean, I can read chord charts. That, that stuff makes sense to me. But if you put some notation down in front of me, I, that kind of never really, like, made sense to me. But, yeah, I think, you know, you, you copy until you sort of find your own voice. And is that the same process that you also arrived at with your very soulful-sounding singing voice? Well, thank you, first of all. Um, I mean, I had always been singing from the time I was like a little, little kid. My parents said I always was humming or singing. And that's how they could, they could always find me in the house, you know, because they just listened to the humming or singing. But I didn't really start taking my voice very seriously until kind of that period of time after I'd found the piano and started really developing that relationship between the two instruments. Um, I think I, that's maybe around 15, 16 years old, I really started to realize that maybe I had something worth pursuing in that regard. Um, but, you know, I think like a lot of young singers, you know, when you first start hearing your voice on recordings, particularly, it's like, oh my God, I never want to hear that again. It's very shocking. It can really like, <laughs> you know, deter you from wanting to continue down that path. You know, thankfully, I, I persevered and, and um, I think I started to really discover my own sound. Absolutely. And I think it contributes to this timeless quality that we were talking about, you know, because the music can right. can reach back and reach forward at the same time and, and have that kind of depth. With, with um, sort of the jazz, soul, R&B hybrid that you have going on, it seems like you've found a really great audience in Europe, uh, overseas, and you've had the opportunity to play some really cool festivals over there. And uh, my times in Europe, I've always found that they've had this just incredible appreciation for American jazz and blues and soul and things like that. And, and do, you, do you think you've got kind of a special 
audiences and special fan base there. I do. Absolutely. I feel a certain like family, like home vibe when I go to like the UK. And I mean, I've toured extensively across Germany and Italy. Um, you know, you played in Paris and like have very warm reception when I go there. You know, a lot of different places that I, I go and people treat me like I'm part of this family. It's not anything that I had experienced before. I had you know, granted, I hadn't done a lot of touring in the U.S. before I released my first record and had to start, you know, doing European touring. But, you know, it's not to say that I haven't experienced that here in the States as well, but it sort of just depends on where you go. Yeah. And, and I think it's OK to uh, acknowledge that there's there is a different degree of a, a bit of a reverence um, for this music and knowledge uh, for it that that, um, yeah. um you know, when they show up for these festivals, um, I don't know, there's just a degree of appreciation that that's that might just be unique for that area. I, I find it intriguing myself. Especially because of the fact that the roots of this music come from here in the States, of course. You know, this is very much like an American, you know, Black music. Soul music, blues, jazz, all of that is, you know, very much an American thing. About as American as it could possibly be. But it seems now that the appreciation for it has become, you know, almost more so appreciated in other parts of the world than it is here. And it's actually kind of always been that way. Duke Ellington was a huge star overseas. Um, Muddy Waters was a huge star overseas. And, and uh, yeah, it's just, you know, I don't necessarily have an explanation for it. I've just always found it fascinating. And it, it just kind of looks like you've tapped into that vein to be able to um, meet meet their interest in this jazz, soul, R&B kind of music that, that, that's so appreciated there. Yeah, I found a little niche in there, you know, that's, um, it does seem to be doing quite well for me. I think the interesting thing is that it's been difficult in some ways for, you know, true like jazz heads to, to say that I'm jazz enough for them. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, jazz heads say I'm too much soul for them. And the soul <laughs> heads say I'm too jazzy for them. So it's like, I'm, I'm trying to kind of like find this, you know, there is an audience out there, but it's a very, you know, I guess it's just the people who are a little more middle of the road. Yeah, yeah. I actually want to return to that discussion because I'm finding that uh, uh, we're at a very interesting um, point as to like what is jazz. Um, and, and I think it's a really interesting discussion. And in the next um, song that you're going to um, present for us today uh, called I'll Be Your Radio, uh, it actually has guests, um, Moonchild, who are also blurring these lines as to what's jazz. So you're, you know, you're you're incorporating this into your work as well, right? Yeah, yeah. So we'll talk about I'll be your radio on the other side of it, but let's check this out, okay? So this is Jared Lawson with I'll be your radio here on Joy Sounds.
That was I'll Be Your Radio by Jared Lawson off his record, Be The Change. I want to take a moment and thank our co-sponsor, Music Connection. Through its daily website, weekly newsletter, and monthly print magazine, Music Connection caters to artists, musicians, industry pros, and support services. For years, Music Connection has been known for discovering new talent by reviewing unsigned artists, both through its live performance reviews and critiques of recordings. Music Connection never charges a fee for its reviews. 
Known for years as the Musician's Bible, Music Connection bridges the gap between the street and the elite. It exists to serve artists and music makers of all genres, offering connections to the unconnected and to provide expert, cutting-edge information that can help you take your music to the next level. Whether offering tips on raw survival or exclusive contact lists of industry pros like managers and label representatives, Music Connection is an acclaimed, proven resource for the professional and semi-pro musician. Check it out at musicconnection.com. Now, let's get back to our conversation with Jared Lawson. And that was I'll Be Your Radio by Jared Lawson off his most recent record, Be The Change. And that particular track featured the band Moonchild. And before, we were starting to talk a little bit about how you might fit in to sort of the current labels or biases or um, stereotypes of what is jazz or what is soul. And I could definitely see that that you kind of defy those labels a little bit. You're not fitting into one or the other. And I'm just wondering, <laughs> has that caused uh, any discomfort for you? Or have you been able to sort of stand there proudly and go, that's right, I don't fit into any of those labels? I definitely stand firmly into it. You know, I, it's, I mean, I'm intentional about the type of music that I'm creating. I, I want it to blur those lines and I want it to to sort of bring, you know, this the sort of sound of soul music and jazz closer together because that's just those are the styles of music that i love the most right um and i think that they fuse together in a really beautiful way um but yeah again it does cause a lot of people to go hmm it, it, people who just naturally want to put things into a box they feel uncomfortable with it somehow it's like i don't know it's like it's not jazz and it's not soul it's like something in between so i don't know what to do with that you know um, some people are just uncomfortable with that somehow. But, but to be totally honest with you, I feel like, and it's interesting, I had this conversation with um, some other folks on a podcast recently where we were talking about the future of jazz and where I thought jazz was going. And, you know, we were kind of talking about jazz clubs closing, you know, just all over the world. It seems like jazz is kind of on the decline in a lot of ways. Um, but I really do feel like, you know, with these younger gener generations of people growing up, they're further away from the roots of jazz and soul music. They didn't grow up with it necessarily. I think that those generations of people need a little extra incentive to sort of like get on board with, with these styles of music. And to me, hip hop, has been hugely instrumental. It, you know, people like Kendrick Lamar, who are including a lot of jazz and soul into their sound, um, are really helping to, to foster that connection for these younger generations. Um, and I guess that's what I'm trying to do as well. Yeah, outstanding. And, and yeah, while, while I definitely see sort of the traditional blues clubs closing, here in Los Angeles, our heart was broken that the Blue Whale decided to close close their doors. We're hoping that, you know, maybe... When we're on the other side of this, we'll find something um, else. But but at the same time, I'm also really encouraged because there's almost a redefinition of jazz that's going on, as illustrated by your guests on this last track: Moonchild, Knower, Wolfpack, all you know, all of these bands that I think are 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 stretching it. And I see I see you in that category, but just doing it in, in through the uh, avenue of soul music as well. It's it's exciting to me. I I I, I guess I'm a glass half full. I think I'm optimistic about what it can become. Yeah, I appreciate that perspective. And I feel that way as well. And I think, um, you know, bands like, like Moonchild, I really think that they have developed a sound that is so unique. And I don't think that there's anybody on this planet that is really like, you know, incorporating jazz into the music 
in a way that makes it so digestible. And like when I listen to their music, I'm not thinking about the fact that it's all this jazz harmony, all this sophistication. They do it in a way that is so accessible, so vibey and it feels great. And Amber's voice is sublime. You know, it's like, it's just so easy to get on board with for me. Well, it's a great collaboration for you to to bring them in on this particular track and and uh, on your record. So I, I I don't know. I like I said. I think it it this is pointing to things to come. I'm 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 excited by it. So you release this record, and then like all artists, we've had to contend with the pandemic that shut down our live performance opportunities. Um, but I've also been really inspired by the pathways that many artists have found in the live stream arena. And have you been doing any of that? I just did the one live stream at Classic Pianos. What was that? Maybe just a month and a half ago or so. Um, and that was, yeah, that was an interesting experience for me. Um, it was it was such a strange thing to be in this. I'm in a recital hall with a beautiful, you know, Yamaha piano. And then, of course, we had like three people in the room. My girlfriend. And then there were two guys who were like videographers slash, you know, MC and all that. And I mean, I said it like right on the live stream that it was like, I felt more nervous for some reason to be doing this for, you know, when I have three people in the room and I'm doing it, it just felt so strange. I've been on stage performing for thousands of people before and not been that nervous. But it is a different, it's a different thing and kind of performing out into the void and you can't read the room. You don't know how it's going. You don't know if it's landing in the way that you want it. It's hard when you can't read the room. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And maybe that has a lot to do with it. The fact that I can't, I can't see people responding and waving their arms and having a great time, you know, or whatever it is. So yeah, it was an interesting experience. Um, I will be doing another live stream actually coming up. I'm going to be doing it from here in my home studio on the 25th of February. So um, it'd be great if people tune in to that. And I think it'll be around two o'clock. Okay. Yeah. Because even though that that, that original experience was maybe um, new and perhaps a bit strange for you, it came off great. And for those interested, you can you can see the live stream uh, on YouTube. And, and uh, as Jared mentioned, it's with this beautiful Yamaha piano, the production qualities that is top notch and so definitely uh check out this one that's coming up on february 25th so um that's that's really cool so have, have you used this time um to write uh, i've been talking with a lot of artists who have actually sort of hunkered down during this time and their writing output has really increased has that been your experience you know i'll be honest with you i haven't done a lot of well, not, not lyrical writing. Uh, I've been kind of in a little bit of a dry spell. And part of that, I think, was the fact that, you know, part of this pandemic period was dedicated for me to getting this last record done. Sure, of course. And everybody has responded differently. You know, I've definitely found that artists have gone into very inward reflective mode, you know, and uh, and I think that that's perfectly appropriate to sort of kind of take this time because it's, it's a historic moment. For sure. And I think that's also a lot of what's been going on for me. My girlfriend and I, um, we moved in together like just before the pandemic started or kind of right as the pandemic hit. But now we've moved twice since then. Wow. <laughs> we finally got into a, a really nice uh, home. So yeah, it's been a lot of transitional 
um, things happening. Well, you haven't had time to write. I haven't really had time to write, to be totally <laughs> honest. There's just been so much other stuff going on. Well, Jared, it's been such a pleasure getting a chance to uh, know you Likewise. and uh, get to know your music. I'm, I'm, I've definitely become a fan as I've uh, uh, got to hear Be the Change, your latest record. And uh, we, before I let you go, we want to wrap up this episode with, uh, I, I think, again, very spiritual uh, type of song called The Universal Chord. And I'd love for you to give me the backstory on this particular song. Okay, so this is probably the oldest, um, the bones of this song are the oldest of any on this record. I guess at about like 15 years ago or so, my father had come into the room just kind of out of nowhere. He just like had this crazy idea. He came in to tell me, he said, I just had this like epiphany that you know, it's like everything that in the universe that is moving is creating a frequency of some kind, right? And he said, just imagine that all the revolving planets and celestial bodies out there, if they're all creating a frequency. There must be some kind of massive chord that's happening. If you could actually hear it, what would that sound like? And that really inspired me to write these lyrics. And at that time, I, I immediately started writing a song. And I was a, you know, I was a, like a very early songwriter at that point. And I wrote a couple of verses and kind of had like the basic, you know, like A and B sections for the song. And I really wasn't ever satisfied with it for, for many years. I just was not satisfied with it enough to put it on a record. And then I think uh, right as I was, you know, kind of working on this Be The Change record, I, I was kind of going back through some of the old songs that I, you know, that get left behind. And, you know, you kind of gather the ones up that had some value. And that was one of the ones that I always held on to. I was like, man, it has great bones and it has a great concept, but it just never quite got there. And so I really took a, a second look at it. I wrote some new verses to add onto it. Um, I wrote a bridge. And then, of course, I just added some new sections and all these like modulations at the end. And it really became something that I was very proud of. Finally, after 15 years, I was like, man, isn't that crazy that a song would take that long to compose, to get it to the point where I felt satisfied with it? Hey, I, I, think, I think there's cases when... Uh, songs may not ever get to that point, but still have that same idea. But I, I always enjoy that story of the the song that took 15 years to present <laughs> itself and to to reveal itself. And here it is. Yeah. That's terrific. So I'm very pleased that we'll be wrapping up today's session with a song that was uh, 15 years in the making. Um <laughs> So this is uh, so Jared. It was such a pleasure to get to know you. I wish you nothing best. Best of luck, and I know that our Joy Sounds listeners are going to check out the live stream on February twenty fifth. That's coming up. Thank you, Chris. I really, really appreciate you having me on today, and all the support it means so much. Of course, it's my pleasure. So to wrap up today's episode, this is Jared Lawson with Universal Chord here on Joy Sounds.
sure to subscribe and follow Joy Sounds wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, follow us on all social media platforms using the handle at Joy Sounds Music. Are you an artist who would like to be on the show? Visit the contact page of our website at joysoundsmusic.com for more information. Until next time, this is Joy Sounds, music you need to know.